Sorry, go ahead. Is that not a good approximation of the thing to me? The seriousness he went at it with was good. So I was in London for the weekend. My sister was getting married, and as it worked out, the 12.30 fixture in the Premier League on Saturday featured my son's favourite team, Liverpool, playing just outside London in Watford's Vicarage Road Stadium. That meant we could get to the game and get back into the city in time for the wedding later that afternoon. What a day it turned out to be. You are welcome, our lovely listeners, to this week's episode of In the Lamplight. Luke and Rory, you are welcome also, and I have a trivia question for you guys to start today. Cool. Great. Which world-famous piano player is the former chairman and now honorary life president of Watford Football Club? Ira, come on. World-famous piano player, uh, Watford Football Club, uh, uh, Kieran Quinn. Yeah, like that's literally the only person I know <laughs> that plays football and plays piano. Is okay, Kieran. interesting. That's interesting. I I thought he's this not, might not get you. Not necessarily play football. He didn't say that. He just said he's the chairman of the football club. Oh yes, Watford. Yeah. Is it Elton John? It is Luke. Yeah. Oh, I oh, yeah. Because I was, I was about to move on, and and he hadn't, he hadn't got it right. And Rory, you brought it back up, and then oh, sorry, Elton John. Fair play to you. That came out of somewhere yeah. now. I didn't think you'd get that one. And look, I bring up this match. Um, not because of Elton John, believe it or not. Although I would venture that Watford is the only club in England to have the lyrics of a 50-year-old piano ballad printed in a large yellow font the whole way along the length of the back wall of the main stand. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is now you're in the world, for anyone wondering. Printed the whole way along the Sir Elton John stand. Great song. I bring up the match, not because of that, but because it featured an amazing goal scored by a player who is in one of those streaks of form where everything he does is working. Surely, lads, you know who I'm talking about this time. Mo Salah. Ah, Rory! You needed to redeem yourself after the last one. Yes, Mo Salah. The only Liverpool player I know. <laughs> I knew that as well. I just thought I'd let you have that one. Just yeah, I got the, lads, you're doing around the, the sporting quiz. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I bring up Mr. Salah this week because um, we have a sporting guest on the show today. Former Sligo footballer Eamon O'Hara, and like Mo Salah at the moment, at his best on the field, you could see that he was in a flow state, also known colloquially as being in the zone. It, according to Wikipedia, is the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energised focus, full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. In essence, a flow state is characterised by the complete absorption in what one does and a resulting transformation in one's sense of time. Beautiful. Nice. Transformation and in one's sense of time. That's mm, great, isn't it? But it is great. Yeah. When you get in there, like you can be at something for... For half an hour and, and you feel like you've done it for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you experienced that, Luke? Oh, big time. I, I, I think I do that differently, though, depending on what the activity. If I'm tipping away in the studio, especially if I'm in here on my own, I'll, you know, if it's the winter, I'll come in here and it'll be bright outside and I'll open the curtains after what I could think has been an hour and it's dark outside because mm. I've been in here for five hours yep. just stuck into something and I've forgotten to eat and I've just totally neglected everything except what I'm obsessed with at that moment. But I also kind of go there for... Rory, your phone is... Uh, you want to put your phone on silent there oh, again? Oh, sorry about that, Luke. Yeah, that was definitely from over this side of the room. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We've had problems with this sort of thing before. Uh, I, we I must also... get a little counter for the amount of times your phone goes off and, and I you blame, blame you. me. <laughs> um, I also do it for musicals, uh, but it's a different process for musicals if and, and musicals and plays in general. Uh, I just leave, I just want to be left alone mm. for like the 20 minutes, half an hour before I go on stage. Yeah. I kind of just want to pace around the dock. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to chat. I don't want to crack. I just want to be left alone. And I walk around and I'm just, uh, I'm just zenning myself. And yeah. I'm kind of sinking into character and I'm going over maybe a song in my head. Or, and and that's, that's something that I'm very conscious that I do. Whereas when I lose myself in here in the studio, that's not a conscious thing at all. That just happens. And does it happen before you go on stage for a gig? Not as much, no. Right. Not as much. Uh, if, like if we were, you know, going on team night gig in the Hawkswell or something, be chatting to people before. It's it, That's a different kind of a thing. It's more when I, I'm going out and I've got like lots of lines or, you know, you've got songs and you've got dance routines or whatever. That's when I just want my head there 
before I go out. So I just, I, yeah, I, I hate when people, and you can't, you can't, someone comes up chatting to you, you can't be like, uh, excuse me, could you feck off because I'm getting in the zone? You know? <laughs> it depends well, how seriously you take your craft, Luke. I mean, uh, I mean. <laughs> Rory, how about yourself? Is that something you find yourself, is that state something in which you find yourself often or is it something to which you aspire much or it's a, how does it work for it, you? It's funny listening to Luke talk because it's probably something that me and Luke share, be it sitting at a computer to edit for hours and going on stage to do musicals and shows, we share that. And I share the exact same process as Luke in both forms. If I sit down to edit something, like I'm not joking, I can literally be staring at the screen and I'm getting these kind of micro, um, little micro joys. That worked, that worked, brilliant, that worked, great, moving on. Oh, I can slot that bit in here now. Oh, that bit I was thinking of uh, 40 minutes ago, I can slot that bit in here now. Then all of a sudden, yeah, six hours is gone, your piece is made and it's an unbelievable feeling because the time was used so efficiently, you kind of pat yourself on the back and go, class, well done. And then that exact thing before shows, mm. I do the, I do it even before theme nights as well. I go down into the, for anyone who doesn't know the layout of the Hawkswell, when you walk off stage right, you come into the backstage area, past the dock and into the backstage area. And down the very back of that backstage area is a quiet hall. That hall has seen more nerves from me than anywhere else on this earth. <laughs> I, like that hall, if them walls could, like, could absorb fear, it would just be, they'd be named Rory Maitland Hall of Fear. I go down there, get myself into the zone, try and breathe out all the nerves. And then there comes a point then where I get to the corner, where uh, leading back towards the dock and back towards the stage, and I just switch, boom. And it's not quite a flow state, but it's definitely like an intent of, an intention state. I'm, I'm going now to do what I came here to do. Hmm. So sorry to reiterate what Luke says, but exactly the same thing on both ends. Let's see what Michal's been up to this week. Talking to your average Joes, a random question he will pose. What he'll ask, one never knows. What's your favorite movie? Savory or fruity? Do you like a sushi? Oh, it's me, Hall on the. Well, lads, what's the crack? Street. Oh. I'm Mumford and Sons in Malahide Castle. Why was that? Oh, it was just one of the best. I love the band, class band, and just one of the best concerts I've ever been at. I almost cried, it was, it was unreal. Life Fest 2018, baby. <laughs> Who was the best act? Uh, rudimental. Uh, it's not much of a concert, but I went to a live Blind Boy podcast. It was like on his first tour and it was, it was sick. The was really cool. Yeah, really enjoyed it. I'd have to say Madness. Oh, um, that's a great choice. Where was that? I was in Washford. It was a ska festival they had and Madness were the headliners and they were amazing. Chemical Brothers. What was so good about them? The light show and all is unbelievable. Lad. <laughs> uh, well, I have two of them. So one of them was a punk festival down in Limerick called... Uh, Jesus, it was called Overdose 2.0. So we had all local Irish bands from <laughs> Dublin and Limerick and, and Derry everywhere around. Oh, the was pile into this tiny little pub. And she was about 30 or 40 of us, shirtless in a mosh pit, absolutely jumping off the stage and everything. And then the other one was uh, Green Day and Rancid up in Malahide Castle. It's me, Hole on the Streets. Yeah, what did you think of that? <laughs> so I went out in the streets this week. Overdose 2.0. Hold on, can we appreciate that for a minute? I have a mental image of what this young man looked like. I, so do I. <laughs> yeah, no, I went out and I was asking them what their favourite concert of all time was. And some people gave me music, but some people gave me like podcast concerts. I don't know if you'd call them concert shows. Live shows, yeah. But Rory and Luke, I'm going to start with you first. I'm going to start with Rory, actually. Mm -hmm. What was the best concert you've ever been to? Does it have to be a concert? No, it can be a live event. It's just a live performance. Yeah, yeah. This, I cringe a bit at this, right? Because it, I don't think it fits the bearded kind of tattooed man. But Brilliant. Best thing I ever saw live was Wicked in the Borgosh Energy Theatre. And the only reason I say that is because I love that song, Defying Gravity. And I know the Wicked show and I've seen the show a few times. But the last time it was here, I'm not sure who played outside. I'm not sure the names of the actors, but whoever played Alphaba in the last time Wicked was here in the Borgosh Energy Theatre absolutely nailed that song. I mean, chills. I was like, Elaine was looking at me like, are you all right? I was like, that was, Elaine, you don't understand. She's like, no, I do. I listen to it. I was like, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know what's going on in my head. That was perfect. Like everything was perfect. So I guess, I guess that, even though it probably shouldn't be, because my usual go-to answer is I went to a festival called Fantastival, which is, and they have a Viking section of that festival where they do like, they light a big fire in the middle of a big wicker thing and just like 
punk rock music it's far on. more Rory that should be yeah, more yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, but, and, and I loved that don't get me wrong but the 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 uh, poor gosh energy theater for Wicked I know <laughs> that I is like the honesty is. I like yeah. the honesty that's so funny because we went to see the exact same show in Dublin yeah and just before Defying Gravity came on dad just said I am out of here. I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> so that's completely different ends of the pool. Okay, Luke, moving on. What's your favourite live event that you've been to? Um, I've been to lots of gigs. Uh, the one that I would have to say is my favourite has a, an incredibly unfair advantage because it was three kind of gigs in one day. Um, it was in the RDS in Dublin and it was Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor and Paul Simon all on one bill, which is like, that's a kind of a once in a lifetime build. They're three yeah. absolute heavyweights and uh, to get them all in one day uh, is an amazing experience. And um, it was just one of those things I was buying tickets for that. I was like, I am not skimping. I am getting expensive tickets for this. Yeah, and yeah, I am yeah. putting myself in a place where I'm no longer able to see everything. And I, I made sure that I bought tickets that were, you know, they weren't in the middle. They were in line with the PA off to one side. So I knew I was going to be getting some really good direct sound and everything. Yeah. And the sound was immaculate and it was a beautiful sunny evening. And uh, all three artists, all three bands were just fantastic. And they like, they had the best of the best musicians in their bands as well. Like James Taylor had Steve Gadd on drums and uh, he had Blue Lou Marini, who's a fantastic, uh, he was in the Blues Brothers Oh, yeah. Um he's a he's a, a brass player and he was in his brass section just like it was incredible. That's uh, far and away the best live gig I've ever been at. I've never heard someone have such tactics about buying a ticket as oh. to where they're gonna sit for the sound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're yeah. really showing yourself up here as the real nerd. Yeah, well you know when people <laughs> moan about uh, you know, oh isn't the three arena for such and such and the sound was bad. I was like, yeah, because you weren't sitting in the right place. Yeah, uh, what happened? I went to see No Time to Die yesterday in the Max Cinema. Yeah. And the friggin' thing wasn't centred. And oh. it was kind of jaunty off to the side. That's awful off-putting. And I had to watch the whole thing with the screen like this. Oh, I was no. like, come here. Now, when I say screen like this, I put my arm up at a bit of an angle. Sorry for the listeners. You poor old devil, Rory. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your question there. <laughs> yeah, poor ahead. old devil with God your love screen you. that wonky. Been, I hope they give you a wee lollipop and a pat on the head on the way out. Wonky <laughs> screen. Thing. God love they, you. They robbed me a 12 quid for it. Ah, uh, you poor fella. Okay, Kieran, what was the best concert or live event you've been to? Well, we all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, none of you guys were alive, believe it or not. Mm. But in 1990... Ireland won a penalty shootout in the second round of the World Cup against Romania. You would have seen or seen it since, I'm sure, Packy Bonner making that save. David Leary scoring the winning penalty. And little did I know, but as he was scoring that winning penalty, the wheels in my dad's head were turning and he was on the phone to a travel agent and he booked us a trip to Rome four days later to see Ireland against Italy in the World Cup quarterfinal. Wow. Wow. Incredible. It was unbelievable. Oh my God. I was not expecting that. Lads, I was expecting like a game down like muck, muck, muck down in Calera and the boys (laughs) kicking pints. Genie macaron. Well, the fact that you said like games that you've seen are games that you played in and then he didn't go for the time they won the Connacht final. That's what I expected. The time Sligo won the Connacht final and Kieran kicked scores all the way through that game. Thank you for that over-exaggeration, Rory. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> No, I'll never forget that though my whole life, that, that experience. We, 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 actually, we actually got into the hotel the day before to see the Ireland team as well. Um, just real, like, real, you know, childhood dream stuff. I remember Paul McGrath was the only fella who took any bit of notice of me. I went around with my autograph sheet to every single fella and they all just signed it. Paul McGrath actually put the arm around me and says, how are you young fella? What's oh, the crack? Yeah. When did you get oh. over here? <laughs> it, was nice. just, it was just class. a touch of class and uh, look, what a trip, what a trip. I cried all the way, all the way home like after we lost the match but look, it was, oh. it was, still, uh, it was still amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for looking after that segue for me, Michal, because yes, folks, it is our first ever sporting guest on In The Lamplight. We asked him to come in specifically this week because his club, the current five-in-a-row champions, Tour de Strand, have once again qualified for this year's Sligo Senior Football County Final. It takes place this coming weekend, and in it they will face my club, their latest challengers, the long-shot underdogs, Calera Strand Hill. He is one of the best footballers to ever have played for Sligo. He is indeed one of only four All-Stars ever to come from our county, and I had the honour of playing with him and against him for many years. 
Eamon O'Hara, you are very welcome to In The Lamplight. Thank you, my friend. Uh, that was some introduction. <laughs> well, it's only getting started. <laughs> no, <good. laughs> because before we get stuck in, we would like to play something for you and for the listeners so that everyone can be reminded of some of the great moments in your career. Eamon was probably the Roy Keane of Sligo football. Good work by Eamon O'Hara. Taking a shot and over the crossbar. They outplayed, they outran, they outfought. Good, good work by Eamon O'Hara. One player who's willing to run at the heart of the Tyrone defence. When Sligo played well, it was no coincidence that Eamon was at the top of his own personal game. Even from a young age, people from around the country knew who Eamon O'Hara was. And the Connacht final is underway. O'Hara and Quinn trying to get stuck into Coleman and Joe Bergen straight away. And in the full forward line, and here's Eamon O'Hara surging through. Hanley trying to get back to it. O'Hara! What a fantastic goal! And O'Hara is back to his very best. And Sligo lead. He has the whistle. It's all over! And Sligo he will be remembered not only as a Sligo great and not only as a Connacht great but certainly up there with one of the all-time great footballers of the modern era. Well, Eamon, I tell you, um, Michal, one of the lads here on the podcast, put that together uh, and he, he sent it to me earlier today and the hairs were standing up on my neck listening to it. How did it feel for you? Oh, Quinner, it's, um, I'll be honest with you, I cringe when I hear that type of stuff. I won't lie to you. I, uh, it's nice to listen to it. It's nice hearing it and I suppose if it was on my own, I'd probably appreciate it more. But when I'm with people like yourself and stuff like that, you're kind of saying, oh God, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, it's nice. It's lovely to hear. It's, uh, it's nice for my family to have those type of memories and stuff like that. But for me, it's, um, there were special days as, as we're going to get in and talk around. But it was, it was great times and we had plenty of bad days as well, which we don't talk about and we don't hear about. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and give it as positive as we can. Yeah, so you won't appreciate me then bringing attention to the first quote we heard on that piece, the Roy Keane of Sligo football. <laughs> yeah. Firstly, I'm going to pull you up on something. You introduced me and you introduced yourself and you talked about Clara and you talked them down as being the rank underdogs. Let me, <laughs> we, need, we, we need to address that at some stage. Okay. But yeah, yeah, Tommy says, yeah, the rough. listen, I suppose, um, for me it was all about I just wanted to win. I just wanted to win. I was desperate for success and that's ultimately why, why I played as long as I did and uh, we had some bad days. I started off in a really, really bad day in 94 with Sligo and, um, you know, we progressively got better and came very competitive and, you know, I loved that. I, I, I just loved that competitiveness of, of the team. It wasn't about the individual accolades. It was more about our team was able to mix it with the big, with the big guys and, it was Sligo. For me, Sligo was black and white every time I played. It just, it meant so much to me and, and the area and the people. And, uh, you know, you go further afield and I found out like, you know, people used to, they'd never rate you and they'd, they'd talk you down and it was just Sligo. And it was, it really arced on me. It really, really drove me on. And, you know, that's, that's, I always want to change perception. I think that's what it was. That's yeah. why I played as much as I did. Okay. I remember, um, we shared a room in my very early days with Sligo. I think it was it was the National League. It was 01 or 02 and we were down in the Curra. We were playing Kildare right. away and yeah. we got up for breakfast and uh, Niall Quinn and Steve Staunton and a few of the Irish team were, were staying there and they were just finishing their night out. They were, they were finishing up at the bar and we were heading down for breakfast. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. You know, this was a, we were, we were a Division 1 team at that mm. point, you know. Um, we were competing with the best teams in the country. And, you know, we'd been written off for this match. No one gave us a chance. And I said, I remember saying to you, like I was new to the team and saying, you know, what's, what's the story here? Why, why is no one giving us a chance? Do they not look at our form last year mm. or what we've done over the last few years? And you said, I remember, I remember this clear as day, you said, Quinner, until we win something, nobody will respect us. Yeah. And, and I guess that's what you're after alluding to there, yeah. which is that driving you to actually gain the respect of other counties to to and, and, and ultimately to win something. Yeah, and I think that's that's what it is. Like, you know, winners will always be remembered, but losers will be just, you know, you'll just move on. And, you know, for me, that's what it was. It was just to be successful with Sligo. And, was, and, and I mentioned they're not the individual accolades. It was always nice to get recognised. Don't get me wrong. And I'd be a liar if I didn't say that, you, you know, you enjoyed them. But, you know, I knew myself that you need to have a very, very 
a quality bunch of players to be very, very successful. And back then, God, we were lucky back then, Quinn. We had a we had fellas like yourself. You're over six foot, six foot two. You know, I was probably one of the smaller guys at six foot on the team. because Clancy McGarty, uh, Johnny Mack, Dirks. You know, they were all big men and. You know, we were we were a team ahead of ourselves in terms of our athletic ability, and uh, you know that's why we were in Division One. We were we were able to compete. But you know, you talk about me. You know, you had a desire to win as well, like, and all the lads had a desire to win when they realised. And you know, Forty came in. You can remember when Forty and TJ came in. There was a, I always say about Forty, he couldn't understand us why, why did Sligo not have the same attitude as a as a Mayo? Like, you know, why do you? undervalue yourself mm. and why do you not believe in yourself a little bit more but I think that rubbed off his his attitude rubbed off on everybody then and you could just sense the comp- the competitiveness in the room then at that stage and we just got better and better as we went along Yeah, yeah just for the listeners that was Peter Ford and TJ yeah. Kilgallen came in as managers of the team in, in 2001 and yeah as you say I mean that coincided with myself and a few others getting involved um, just I suppose just stay, staying with the whole belief thing Um. I always felt that this was one of your biggest roles in the Sligo team, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, that you you saw it as part of your job, not just to play a good game yourself, but to convince the rest of us or many of the rest of us that we were worthy of being Sligo footballers and competing on a national stage with the best in the country. Was that a conscious thing that you did, Eamon, or was it just, was it more an, an instinctive thing that you knew this had to be done? I think it was instinctive. I think, you know, I wasn't an expert or anything like that when it came down to winning, I suppose. You know, my very first success of winning was with Banat Abbey back in 90, you know, in the early 90s, late 80s when we were going through in a freshers team that was amalgamated because at, at underage level, I never won a game. You know, we were hammered. There was only four or five of us at that age group. It was under 12 or under 14. We were pulling from from guys who were six, seven years younger than us. We had a we can remember having an eight-year-old playing at under twelve. You know what I mean? It was we we were a rural club, so we'd never really won anything. And I think once we got into Banada, and we had amalgamation of the Curries, the Tubber Curries, a few from Bunnanad and a few from Clunacool, and we all came together and we got very competitive. And obviously went on and went on All Ireland B. And you know that's where for me then the success was saying, oh, we can I can win here. This is what it feels like. And I think you know the standards then from then on, like you know you joined the Sligo setup that TG or um. Uh, uh, Mick Laffey was 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 involved, and the the late Johnny Stenson, two two absolutely brilliant people, uh, got us involved at underage, and they put faith in the young guys. But you know the setup and the approach was, even though there was very very good established footballers there, I suppose they never had that self belief. So mm. it stemmed from their corner, and I just kept, you know. You're, when you're trying to drive standards, it's, it can be unpopular. You you come a bit of the arsehole in the group because you know you're asking for more and more and more. And I think you know that to me, you know, it's funny enough. Yeah, I watched the the Michael Jordan documentary, and he 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 actually made reference to it. And I suppose then I got more of an insight. I said I probably was the asshole in the room mm-hmm. because you're just driving standards. You're trying to make it better, and it's unpopular when you're asking people for more and give you more. You know they're happy and they're their comfort zone I think I learned a lot of that as well as life goes on but yeah I just I just I just wanted to win I would have imagine if we'd got to an All-Ireland winner like you yeah. know back with against Armagh could yeah. you imagine that if we yeah. bet Armagh we're going up playing the dubs in an All-Ireland final yeah. like unheard of because people in in you know one we played Kildare they were they were they were crying they were all men crying and and you know, it was such a special occasion for people that were starved of success yeah. to give them a little bit and yeah. I just wanted to get more but yeah, well, at that stage, um, 2001, Sligo hadn't been to Crow Park in 26 years. Um, I remember it well. We played Kildare, and Kildare were Leinster champions at the mm-hmm. time. You know, they were a strong side. They'd been in an All-Ireland final a few years ago. And we went out, lost a man after six, seven yeah. minutes, and, and still... No, you have to name him. He's a cool era, man. <laughs> uh, you can name him if you want there, Eamon. <laughs> we wouldn't name him shame, no. Um, but then, um, yeah, came back and, and, and stormed into the game and ended up winning by a point. Do you know, I was, I was in the car on the way out, Eamon, thinking about this. And, you know, you mentioned being lucky earlier and in, in the group of players we had. And if you look at the days we had as footballers... Um, you know, they don't compare to any other era in Sligo football that I know of anyway. Yeah. We, you know, we'd, we'd Kildare in Crow Park. We we played the dubs in Crow yeah. Park, which was a huge experience. First half we stayed with them. Second half was another story. Do you know, we beat Tyrone, who went yeah. on and won the Ireland the following year. We drew with Armagh, who were that year's All-Ireland champions. You know, won a Connacht title. Played in Crow Park six or seven times. 
played in many other college finals, went to New York on trips three or four. You know, yeah. if, you, if you look back, it wasn't a bad time to be a Sligo footballer. It was, it was excellent. And you left, you left Galway out. Galway were the All-Ireland champions of 01 and obviously of 98. And we had played them in a Connacht final as well, going to the Tyrone game. That's so right. like, yeah. you know, we were in the mix with those All-Ireland champions and we were holding our own and we were probably just maybe one player short or, you know, three unbelievable performances, if you know what I'm saying. If it got individual performances, maybe it would have added more, but everyone played really well back then. And yeah. when that goes back to the confidence side of it, like we just had self-belief in ourselves and, you know, the team meetings, you could sense it, you could sense it. The the, the famous year of, of two, 2002, you spoke about it. Drew with Armagh the first day in Crow Park in a quarter final, and the whole of Sligo came to Navin the next day for the replay and we were very close to them again. Um, there's probably no need to go into all any grievances we might have about any yeah. re- refereeing decisions now. Um, but I'll always remember, Eamon, another, another clear memory of you is in the dressing room afterwards that day. Um, you know, I think that was a huge year for you. It was the year that I felt you really announced yourself on the national stage. You know, it was the year you got your all-star. You took the game to some of the best teams in the country and you really, you, you left nothing on the pitch, I felt. And you came back into the dressing room that day and you were captain that year and, you know, the captain would always make a speech to the players and you were very emotional. Um, And it was just like, you know, you had, this was your dream. It was all of our dreams, but especially I think for you, because you had seen your vision of Sligo competing with the, the, the best teams in the country come to fruition. And we fell agonisingly short and it just was uh, a tough moment. Yeah, yeah, I remember it and... You know, I knew like we had we had all the ingredients. We had everybody, and you know, you mentioned myself, but like an awful lot of fellas played exceptionally well that year. Like you know, yourself included, and we we just got on really well. Obviously, myself, yourself, Dirk used to inter- interchange between centre forward, and we'd rotate a little bit, and uh, we just had a great thing going, and it was working. And I knew, I think I knew myself that we were we were one or two injuries away from being very ordinary and then we were one or two men short of being exceptional and I think when those opportunities came I just felt we didn't take it and you know I, would, I wouldn't I would put it down to the referee's decision on the day I think I know I kicked two wides from 30, 35 oh. yards and you know Johnny Mack had won I think Shawnee D had won so like you talk about we yeah. lost by what we lost by but you know they were four hand they were, they were points that all Ireland champions take yeah. and that was the difference and I think I knew then, I just said, that was my fault. I, I put blame on myself. And then ultimately in 2003, we go over to London. That was a trip that I know Fordy was a little bit ratty with us. Mm. Um, I got taken off because we were walking the game, but I, we, you know, London was, they were coming in with late tackles and we started reacting. It just, there was a bit of a, a bit of a lull started coming around the whole thing. And it was only in the third year, which we should have been really building on. Pushing from on. Two, yeah, we should have been. And, I think one or two guys, we were short, one or two guys with injuries and stuff like that. And we just, we just, just drifted away like it. It just fell apart. And then there was a platter, I think the likes of Cozzy and a few others and Dirks himself, obviously, had picked up a few knocks and lads just, just drift away. Clancy might have been the same, McGarty might have been there. So we just lost a few lads over two years where we just became ordinary. So you recognised that this was, this was a chance. This was a chance. This was a chance. And and look, we we, we got back to an All-Ireland quarterfinal in 07 um, against Cork. But again, um, you know, probably probably weren't quite as strong a team uh, in in general in 07 compared to 02. Uh, I guess we didn't we won Connacht, which was a, a, a massive thing for our county and for us as as, as footballers mm. trying for so long. But we didn't really compete with teams at the highest level as well as we did five years previously. So, yeah. so you recognised that that in 02, that was that yeah, was a I big think, moment. I for think us. so. I think yeah. from my own experience, and just by I suppose I was lucky. I was I was involved with the Irish international rules, and you were meeting fellas and talking to different players from different counties, and you know they they would have obviously been talking around that type of stuff and made me more aware of it. And then I was starting to realise. You know we're in the same boat here. Like you know, we're 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 just we 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 could be in a an opportunity to win, and we're also in a jo- an opportunity to be relegated as well. So it was a case of you know strike while the iron is hot, and that was their attitude. And you'd have often heard some of the Carrollers talk when we should have won that one, we should have won this one, and this is why we won this because we had all our panel of players, and that was the logic. And I think that to me, then I just said that was our chance. Mm-hmm. You know, despite us breaking you know obviously records, Sligo records, and going into quarterfinals, but it was just. 
it was just one that got away and obviously in, you were right you know, we played a core team in 07 they ultimately went on and went on Ireland in 10 I think they were a team that was building when we were never about building we were always just sort of trying to get together for the year mm. and hope that everybody was right because our resources were small like and when I mean resources it was the personnel resources more so than the financial side of it you know we were this, an injury or two shy and you know physically we were not it against Cork and you know they went on to bigger and better things and then from then on you know in Connacht I think funny quick uh, John, Kevin Walsh came in then around 09 I think it was obviously we had Tommy Jordan had come in and didn't really work out at all for the defending Connacht champions and mm. you know Kevin came in then and we probably should have won we could have won three more Connacht titles I think you know yeah. in that era I think yeah. that was it you know he he brought a freshness to the whole group and we got one or two like the likes of Cost joined us and obviously another Mayo Stroke Colera man. Yeah, uh, uh, you obviously got to him with the with the big checkbook. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we we just we we went from there. Yeah, just going back to 07, Eamon, and look, it links into a couple of other moments in in your career. I think uh, we've mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, Mo Salah uh, and this and the his current vein of form mm. and how he just everything he does seems to be working. He just seems to be in in a, a state of flow where he's just trying things and they're coming off and it's 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 a beautiful thing to watch. Um you know, we've both I'm guess I've, I'm guessing experienced this as footballers where things are going well, mm. things are working and it's almost like you don't know why they're working. It's just it, it's instinctive but but you're in great shape, you've got belief, you've got confidence. Um just talk to me for a minute about the goal in 2007. So this is in the first half of the Connacht final and we are you know, we're nip and tuck with Galway. We're probably a point point or two down, uh, but we're, we're staying in touch with them. Um, and all of a sudden, you break onto a ball 50 yards out, uh, solo it, bounce it, get in close to the goals and unleash this beautiful left foot shot to the top of the net. And that moment, I feel, was the minute, the moment that the rest of us, that, that the whole and the crowd and the whole of Sligo believed, you know, we can actually do this today. And we did. But, but in terms of the actual goal, look, I mean, it, 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 it was a five second, a 10 seconds in your life that, 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 that made this happen. Can you remember anything about it? Was there any, was there any feeling of, of being in that state of flow, in the zone, being able to try things or, or was, it just, was it just something that happened? Um, I do, I remember, I remember it distinctly and I think I could see it, you know, funny enough, I, people kind of sort of rolled their eyes of it but I think when Mackie got the ball, Michael McNamara, um, Got that ball. We had we had been training a lot, obviously, with 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 uh, Tommy at the time, Tommy Rainey and Johnny Kent, and they were they were great, and everything was all around getting to a Connacht final and winning a Connacht title. But all the drills used to do, we'd be banging the ball into David Kelly, and Tommy would always be sent to David to bag it, bag the ball, bag the ball, and David was began with you know the one or two at the start of the year, David was just they were slipping and the opportunities were slipping away. But we kicked so many balls in. The drills that we used to do would be, you, you'd remember them up in Markwich Park. We'd bang the ball in, fellas would play a quick one-two and then you'd be executing a shot. And David was like, he was like, he'd just super glue. He was like Spider-Man. Everything stuck to the hands. And in this occasion, I just saw Mac and I could just see, I kind of looked forward and, I, you know, you just instinctively, you go. I just knew there was something happening. There was space. I was going into it. And if that ball is played, I'm on it. And Joe Bergen, I owe Joe, Joe in 2000 absolutely annihilated us. They were 14 nil up and I said, that was Joe Bergen's first and I said, I really need to get one over on Joe Bergen and, you know, he was playing with me and he had obviously suffered a lot of injuries but he was just a yard behind me and I was gone and I just felt it, it happened and obviously the ball was playing into David. David had come really deep and, you know, just like that he bagged it and then slipped it in the same move and it just put me through and I think it was years, I, I go back to Lourdes, my dad used to, when we were young up, he used to bring me up to the Torres Strand football field and he used to say, listen, you've got huge pace, but you know, you need to slow down and compose yourself. He said, but the one thing you do, just get it on target, get the ball on target or, you know, when you're shooting a goal, don't blow it wide. And all often than not, I used to, you know, I wouldn't compose myself, I'd, I could I could kick it wide. So we used to go up and bit of fun, but I do, I could do 20, 30, 40 of those every night from 45 yards he'd throw me the ball I'd soar and I'd just kick it into an empty net and uh, and that's just it all came together you know I didn't I could sense um, Finney and Hanley the goal full back coming beside me I could just sense it and even when you look at the video you can see the tension coming to my face but I just knew I was I had that time and I had that space and it was going to my head just keep it on target and that was yeah. it and I went in and 
So it's mad, isn't it? I mean, we, we uh, you know, everyone looks at that goal and say, you know, that's, a, that's an amazing moment in Sligo football history. But it's a mixture of the training drills mm. done that year, a mixture of uh, a young footballer, um, David Kelly, coming in uh, and doing his job, doing exactly what the management told him. And then going back to you and your dad in the pitch yeah. as, as a child, you know, they're the little things that go into a moment like this. Yeah, it's funny then you actually, when you put it like that, they're all little parts of the jigsaw that make that perfect moment. Yeah. And, you know, the goal itself, it, it stands out as a goal because it meant a lot in the end. Unfortunately for me, my my game finished about 10 minutes into the second half and then, you know, I can remember going to you and you come over and you just tap me on the back of the head when I was sitting on the ground and I was, I think I was being in tears, but your performance in the second half, then it was just, you just... You talk about me and how I was an inspiration down to the years. You were that inspiration and the driving force at midfield. And, you know, you were outstanding. I hated every minute of it standing on the sideline, don't get me wrong, and I was kicking every ball with you. But you were outstanding, like, you know, and there was never that sense. Even though Galway had one or two good chances throughout and they'll say that they missed chances, we were just trying to trip our way across the line. And, you know, Marky B was winning frees that were never frees. Sean Davy was kicking them wide. And you kind of said, this is never going. He's just the referee, please blow the whistle. Yeah. And it, was, it transpired, Reggie had a camera on him actually as well. And yeah. I was used, like, funny enough. Reggie's our kit man. Yeah, the fellow looked yeah, after Reggie, us for years. Yeah, he yeah. was brilliant. But Reggie had a camera on him. And I went over and I gave Reggie, you know, something happened. And I he said something. And I gave an almighty bollocking to Reggie. Yeah. And I didn't realise that he was mic'd up. <laughs> so it was only after, retrospectively, obviously, when I was sort of working with RT, the boys came back and said to me, do you remember that time you gave radio? And I said, this is, we had to edit that piece out. Ah, right. But like, you know, I don't know what it was, whatever we were doing, but uh, just, it was all emotions. But that's just when the final whistle went, I ran to you and it was just, just yeah. that sense of relief, that's you know. Right. You know, a great picture of that. We might put it out yeah. with the show this week. Yeah. yeah, it was class. Of those moments that you'll never forget. Um... Eamon, just going back to Tour de Strand for a minute. You know, we're, we're, we're having a bit of crack, I'm sure, about the final this weekend. Mm-hmm. But uh, just in, in all seriousness for a minute, right, this is, as far as, as far as I can count, you've been involved with Tour de Strand in 13 championship wins mm-hmm. uh, as player and manager. Yeah. Um, going all the way back to 1994. Yeah. And um, Tour de Strand's a very small parish. They wouldn't have the playing resources that lots of other parishes in, in the county have. Um, but yes, year after year, they're 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 there thereabouts. You've won five in a row at the moment, possibly six at the weekend. Um, what 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 what's what's the secret, or or what are the secrets? Or I'm sure it's not one secret. Do you know? I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that that has gone into yeah. it over the years. But you know, how have you managed to do this? Because you were not serial winners before this, and mm. all of a sudden you are serial winners. And and what has happened out there? Do you think? Um, it's a good question. There was nothing else in Torres Strand. Like we had the church, you had the shop. Fortunately, the shop is not there now and the pub is closed. So like really all we've got is the football pitch. And uh, we just started winning and we wanted to win more. And we won three in the 90s and obviously got to 99. And then it was five years. And I suppose you mentioned to me about my prime in, 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 in from, from 01, 02 when I won an All-Star. We weren't getting into county finals then, you know. So... You know, was my focus too much on playing international rules? I'd have to ask myself the question and again coming back trying to play a championship game. But oh four came then and we won and then it just took off from there and we built on it and you know, thankfully there's a there's a generation there now. Myself and Jerry went in as managers. I finished and went to Balladrine, obviously, and Jerry was fin coming up to his last year, Ray Dempsey was manager and the opportunity just came and we said, Listen, shall we'll go in as managers and see how we get on and you know, I'd I'd done a year with Balladrine, learned Learned, made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of things and Jerry was obviously coming in with me and you know it just clicked the bunch of players that we had we says we used to win one quinner and we used to have big heads mm. the following year you'd have a big head you'd think this is going to be handy and we didn't do the detail we we we, we overlooked the detail and we thought we were going to win it so this back to back was always on anyone that won a G won it as well and we'll clear win it back to back and you know maybe everyone suffered a little bit of the of the mm. notions mm-hmm. and uh we just said, this Torres Strand team, we just keep these guys in the ground. We learn from our mistakes as players. And, uh, you know, thankfully enough, the boys have, have come through and responded for the last, four, uh, obviously, five years for us. And they were brilliant. And we just built on it and drove the standards. And, they, you know, they delivered every time. Okay. And what's it like now this year not to be involved for the first time in, in <laughs> yeah. 27 or 28 years or whatever it's, it is? It's, it's different. It's different. It's, it's, it's lovely, I suppose. I'm lucky enough. At the start of this year, uh, Kevin Johnson has come in and he's done a great job, a great response. And, you know, the lads are there and they're, all they just wanted that bit of direction. So we're, we're getting a good response so far. And for me, obviously, I said I'd take a, obviously I'd more of a back seat. And, 
you know, I played obviously junior football last year. We'd won the junior and went up to intermediate, but unfortunately with injuries, a lot of our team was depleted. But in the last two last two weeks, I've been playing intermediate football. There, right. Richard Kennedy's came calling. So, uh, uh, we, we unfortunately we got relegated down to down to down to junior again. But yeah. you know, for for us to be playing senior and intermediate was a great achievement for the that club. Is, but it was uh, it was good fun. But so so for me, is it different as a manager? I was still playing with Toro Strand this year, so that was nice. Um, but as 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 a supporter now, I'm I'm just I'll do anything to to support them. I'll do anything to help them win, and th- that's ultimately what all our supporters do in Torres Strand. And you know, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a different perspective. Listen, you'll end up kicking every ball, and you'll probably shout at every ref, at every referee's decision, good and good and bad. And you know, it'll be just one of those ones where I'm going to really enjoy, no matter what its circumstances. And I know. You know, we're going to talk about it a little bit, but it's going to be one hell of a game, I think. Yeah, well, look, let's get into it now. I mean, we may as well uh, chat a wee bit about the match. Um, from our point of view, I guess we're coming from a place that we haven't won a title since in 16 years. And before that, it was 90 something years. You know, we don't have uh, the history that you guys have. Um, I, I remember envying you guys because there was years, lots of years that we felt we were your equals in terms mm. of playing ability, in terms of talent. But Tour de Strand knew how to win. And and you'd come out winning championships where there there wasn't necessarily a huge gap between teams, yeah. but you'd often come out winning it, which was something that we really envied. I think, you know, obviously the last five years has been different. You've been you've been quite dominant, um, but there is a sense, I suppose, last year's final it was a tighter margin than it had been in previous years, and uh, yeah, look, I mean, there's a there's a sense from our point of view that at least we're going in there with a shout. Do you know we we played you two years ago in mm. in 2019 final. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, you, you won very well on the day. Um, Niall Murphy played a great game for us, but he probably didn't have the backup that he needed, whereas possibly this year we feel he's got a bit more backup. And so we feel we're going to win a chance, but we also feel, uh, look, it's Tour de Strand, five in a row champions, and they know how to win. So that's how we're feeling. Um, how about how about from your point of view, Eamon? Yeah, I think I, I agree with your assessment. I think you mentioned Niall. Niall has obviously become a better player than he was two years ago. And I think obviously you've got much more strength and depth, obviously, with a couple of new inclusions. So I watched you the last day, very, very impressed with it, uh, with your performances. Um, for us, I can only talk about where we are. Have we come back? Have we come closer to the pack? We probably have. Um, we haven't set the world on fire. We played Curry local derby in the semi-final and it was a game we could have won after 15 minutes. It ended up going to extra time and credit to them to put us to a pin of our collar. But, you know, I look back, we played St. Mary's last year in the semi-final. They were four points up going into, you know, nearly going into three minutes of injury time and we managed to turn around and, and win that game. So there's huge character in this group of players like and there's a, there's a willingness and an unbelievable desire to win with them and they don't show it you know they don't express it outwardly, but when it, when the going gets tough, they, they, there's winners in there that will do whatever it takes. Mm. Um, I believe we've got a bunch of players that um, that you need you need to be. If we play well, we're going to get very close to winning. I think that's that's ultimately what we're looking for. I think with Colera, you'd be hoping that one of those two of those lads don't play as well, and obviously you can take a couple of a couple of guys out of it in terms of man marking mount jobs and stuff like that. But we'll always we you know we would always focus on the likes of Niall Murphy. Obviously, you know, there's others there. Barry Manny is doing very, very well. Young um young Flynn's doing really well as as well. So like, you know, you you have that strength and depth. So for us going into it, you know, we played we played you obviously that semi final. Remember we played in the semi final in Ballister there, you you yeah. he hockeyed us off the pitch mm. in the first yeah. half and we went in for an extended uh, half-time break, <laughs> left you standing on the field for a while, and it kind of helped us in a way. Yeah. And uh, we went, back, we came back and went to went to a draw, and then we bet you convincingly in the second in the in the replay. So it's just it's it's gamesmanship. But I just think this will be the first championship county final that's going to be tight. I think there's an appetite the the, the public like that, and uh, it'll it'll be an interesting one how it goes. It'll be yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, look. Um, May the best team win, I guess, Eamon. I can see you. I can see you relishing it, even <laughs> as a supporter. And um, I was telling the lads um, here on the podcast that uh, you know, if they if they decide to come along for a look, they'll see a different side of me than they would see uh, see normally in on on stage or, or chatting like this. You know, you really you get caught up in you the do, occasion. You get caught up in the moment. They're brilliant. That's the that's the great yeah. thing about sports. You, yeah. If you've if you've got skin in the game, you you you're in it. You yeah. you become a different person, and you know that's what people say to me. Jeez, you're 
bit of a gob shot on the pitch. And I said, yeah. I am, because yeah. you want you do everything to win. Yeah. And then, you know, you become a different person. You kind of sit, you, you kind of reflect and you say, oh, was I a bit strong there? And you kind of say, well, I do what it takes to win, you know? So yeah. we're yeah. all like that. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, Eamon, before we finish, can we, I'd just like to talk a bit about music mm. and the role music plays in your life and in your sport and and, and what it has over the years. You're going you're gonna to pick a song for us to play shortly. Um, but you were telling me a story just before we came on air about, you know, you're out out where you live at the moment and you're on the digger, you're on the tractor yeah. and you're spreading topsoil and you're <laughs> belting out tunes. What, what, what sort of stuff do you sing or what sort of stuff are you into? Anything. I, I'm into, I have a random selection. If I showed you my Spotify account now, it's got techno, it's got dance, it's got rave. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a bit of country and western. Yeah. I'm, I have a variety of stuff going on and uh, I couldn't name a song but if, you, if, if I heard a tune I'll remember it and I think I was just saying to you like you know there's certain tunes that you'd hear and you start playing them around in your head and they stay in your head for nearly a day, two days and you're just humming them away or whistling them and you start making up words to, the, to it but yeah music to me was it, it was I like music my probably first interest music was probably the likes of Guns N' Roses back in 91 we went to Slain 15 year old heading off on a bus great for the crack and uh, you know then you had the likes of Roxette you mentioned you mentioned music and sport I started obviously with Sligo 94 back then it was Walkmans it was tapes it was cassettes and uh, you know obviously the era's moved on and mobile phones come in and obviously you've got iPods and iPhones now and so there's music in your pocket constantly so you know in modern day footballers you see them obviously with headphones on and listen to music I do remember when I got my first probably iPod and I'd had filled up with a bit of all sorts of, you know, boom, boom, boom yeah. music. And yeah. I was, I can remember putting on the headphones and I said, Jesus, I, I'm cool here. And I was going, <laughs> going to a championship game with Sligo. I, I don't remember the game, but I just remember how bad I played. Oh, right. And I was actually, I can remember in reflection, I, there was a bead of sweat had coming down my forehead going on the bus over and I just wiped my head. I was saying, Jesus, I'm sweating here. And I left the earphones on and I was looking cool going in, walking by the crowd and I was saying, yeah, I'm here, I'm in the zone and I was the dog's bollocks. And then all of a sudden I went out in the field and I had nothing, nothing in the legs. And I just completely wore myself out, just hyping myself up. And I just said, there's no need for me with music going into games anymore and, you know, got rid of them. And But funny enough, when I am drive, I drive for a living. I'm, I'm, I'm in the pharmaceutical business and... You know, when I'm tired, I just, I turn on some some tunes and they just keep me going. They keep me awake and just get into the beat and I, I just get along. It's like a, it's like that little cup of coffee that some people need. I just play a bit of music. So for me, music was always nice. I just, I like listening to it, but I don't have anything, you know, it, it's a mixture of everything. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, the, the, the song you've picked for us is, is completely different from what you've just spoken mm. about, techno or dance or rave. Um, do you want to tell us what it is? It is a song that I suppose for me when I heard it first I just liked it. There was something it resonated something deep inside me just emotionally. I don't know what it is. I don't know was it you know sadness? Was it grief? I didn't know the words. It was just a tune really really liked and I listened to it and there was different versions of it by different people and you know for me then I suppose you know obviously you can google it and you look at the words and you realise it's about you know obviously life moving on and you know, I don't want to be morbid about it, you know, but we're we're obviously getting older, so maybe I'm getting to an age where I'm sort of more self-reflection and stuff like that. So the tune itself is called The Parting Glass and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to your version of it, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, pressure's on now. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, look, Eamon, um, thank you for coming in. It's Love been great hear. chatting to you. And um, we will uh, raise The Parting Glass to yourself. Absolutely. To all our friends from years of football and to... The, the current players from Tour de Strand and Calera Strand Hill who are going out to, to do their best this weekend. Listen, thanks again for coming on. Delighted to be here, Quinner, and the very best of luck to you uh, in the future with the music and obviously to Calera uh, on Sunday. Cheers, Eamon. Cheers, pal. That e'er I have I have spent it in good company And of all the harm that e'er I've done Alas, it was to none but me 
That was The Parting Glass, of course, um, featuring Rory Maitland on the vocal, myself on the piano and Luke on other bits and pieces. Now, after last week's cliff jumping recommendation, which got the thumbs up from everyone concerned. Indeed, if you haven't seen the video, folks, search for The Jump on the In The Lamplight YouTube channel and you'll see exactly what happened. What does Rory recommend this week? If your life is feeling grey, like a dull and cloudy day, we can chase your booze away. Rory recommends you something to defend you from the boredom that offends you. Also fix your hairdo. It's Rory Recommends. Yes, this is Rory Recommends, a segment at the end of each podcast where I recommend stuff. Okay, so, lads, last week's recommendation, it hit me midweek, so we went cliff jumping, and it hit me midweek that we might necessarily be able, that people might necessarily be able to do that, get into a wetsuit on a cold Monday morning and go and jump in, so I wanted to give a recommendation this week that was a little bit more accessible, right? Mm. So, three or four weeks ago, I was introduced to a video on YouTube. Uh, now, I thought I had seen this video before, but under more scrutiny, I don't think I had. So the recommendation this week, lads, is just for a music video for Elton John's song Rocketman. Mm. So a couple of years ago, Elton John wanted to release uh, new music videos for his songs. I feel that he, uh, he felt that he didn't get a chance to release proper music videos for his songs of the quality that they are now. So he held a competition called The Cut, where he wanted to get three of his songs done. Tiny Dancer was one of the other ones, but Rocketman... Uh, was the one that got the most acclaim. And the reason for that is that an Iranian filmmaker, Majid Adin, he travelled all the way from the Khalees jungle to England. And he had to do it by getting underneath uh, trucks and he had to do it by crossing re- uh, oceans in like half inflated uh, dinghies, etc, etc. So when he got to England, he was working on a project to tell his own story. The story of having to travel halfway across the world uh, and he missed his wife and he missed his kids. And for anyone who doesn't know the Rocketman song, there's a line in it that says, I miss the earth so much, I miss my wife. So when the cut came out, a friend of his from the, from the jungle said to him, there's this project coming up, you should really, you know, submit your video. Or so your idea for a video, because he was a filmmaker. And he submitted this idea. Now he had very little English, but Elton John and the group of judges said, yeah this guy's got it. When you take the words of Rocketman and put them over his story like a man on Mars, imagine being landed into the middle of London Mm. from the middle of the jungle. So they said, yeah, and they flew him over very little English. And the reason it's animated is because they were finding it really hard to communicate with each other. The the filmmakers that were going to make this film uh, and uh, Majid, so he started sketching ideas onto paper and he said, kind of pointing at it like this is what it was like and lads started sketching out another little bit and another little bit and 
uh, there's a, a great behind the scenes section where they're sketching out these things and he's pointing at it going, yeah, like he's saying, yes, 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 yes. And he's pointing at the red um, double decker buses. Like, what are these things? And there's another section of the video where he's coming down an escalator and there's a brilliant moment where he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, like, what's an escalator when you come out of the jungle? You know mm, what I mean? Mm, so to be mm. landed into this. So I said my recommendation should be this week for everyone to go and watch Elton John's video for Rocketman. Now, lads, we watched it just before this segment because I wanted you to see it. What did you make of it, Luke? Amazing. And not what I was expecting at all. Mm. Uh, so what's the story with why did he kind of have to leave uh, where he came from and was it a refugee thing or did his family have to stay behind or so he is a refugee and I wasn't able to clarify some of the points so I didn't want to bring I don't want to just go spouting off there's a couple of different stories as to why he had to leave I don't really know if I I will may revisit this in the future if I find more concrete mm. idea of what the story was I didn't really want to go into it but I don't know but yes he had to leave his wife uh, and kids behind where when he went to seek refuge wow. and a better life for them. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and the, the story of the sketching is really, because that was one of the things that struck me, was the art style was, uh, and the animation style was definitely not cookie cutter. It's quite, yeah. un, it's quite unique, uh, very visually kind of striking. Yeah. yeah, really, really, really interesting video. It brings a whole new emotion to the song for me. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd listen to the words and I figured it was a guy away from his family up in space, but the video is very sad. Yeah. And I guess yes. it's, uh, you know, your story explains that, Rory, you know, where, where it comes from. Um, but just the end sequence of the video and Elton John is singing over and over again, I think it's going to be a long, long time. And, yeah. And this guy's standing there looking at the earth, you know, miles away. It's quite emotional. And yeah. You know, it ain't easy being a rocket man. And it's really interesting, like, because the, the original song was, I think it was this, was it late 60s, early 70s? Yeah. You know, it was, it, the space race was, you know, they were at the height of it. They were in the middle of the all the Apollo missions and stuff. Yes. And that was a very literal thing. That, and it, I think quite a lot of people were inspired, like... David Bowie had a lot of albums about space and, and stuff about that time. All, all the, you know, yeah. Life on Mars, all the Ziggy Stardust stuff. Elton John had that song. So it was in, like it was in the zeitgeist at the time. Mm. So in, in as Elton John wrote it, it's very literally space. And yes. it's about space. But what that video does is it makes it completely not literal. Turns the entire thing into space as a metaphor. And it just becomes actually so much deeper than... For sure. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice reimagining of the meaning of the song through a video. Mm, mm, I thought so too. I thought it was beautiful. Michal, you watched it as well. What did you reckon? Every time it came into the chorus, it completely deflated me. Where you'd need to take a big exhale out and you'd be like, Janie Mac. Like the first, I think the first time it comes into the chorus, he's underneath the truck and he turns over mm. and he goes into space. Yeah. That's an amazing moment. That's amazing it's unreal. And then there was another bit where it came into the chorus and they're on the boat. They're on the little, yes. what would you call it? Like a, like a, dinghy. a, dinghy. a dinghy. A little raft, yeah. Mm. And it, it's rocky out there, whatever, and he falls in and it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's, oh my God, nothing. It's so different from what I've seen. And when you said that we were going watching an, El an Elton John video, I was thinking I'm still standing. So like <laughs> you can imagine, which is the most eighties <laughs> count up. You weren't emotionally prepared for that oh, one. Not video you ever seen in your life. Oh, Very that was good. something special. Now, um, lads, we may not do a thumbs up or thumbs down one on this thing. I think we can guess it's that just, it's a thumbs it's up a thumbs all up. round. Mm. So, look, there's my recommendation this week, guys. Go if you have. It's the video is just under five minutes long. If you have five minutes to spare to see some beautiful storytelling being done via animation. Uh, look up Elton John's new video for Rocketman. All right, that's everything for Rory Recommends this week. Great, Rory. Well, thank you for tying the podcast brilliantly together from Elton John being the honorary life president of Watford at the start to Elton John, the songwriter of Rocketman at the end. And that is it from us this week, folks. If you want extra insights from this show and every show, including some advanced uh, previews of Rory Recommends slots, please subscribe to our email list on lamplightpod.com. You will be the first to know about new guests and the first to see any new content we produce. 
Thanks to Eamon O'Hara for coming in. I must say it was easy to get into a state of podcasting flow when chatting to him. And I hope that you, wherever you are listening this week, manage to get yourself into a similar zone in whatever it is that matters to you at the moment. And may the best team win this weekend. Mm. As long as they're wearing red and white. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Go, on, Go on, Calera. Go on, Calera.